Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up, It's a Gold fam? Happy Monday. I am so excited to be releasing this episode today. Today, my guest is Wiley Sorelli. Wiley is an entrepreneur, board member of Experience Camps, and dear friend. And Wiley is actually the person who recruited me to Experience Camps almost seven or eight years ago now, following losing my dad. And I will forever be grateful to him and for him for introducing me and recruiting me to this incredible organization. As this organization has helped me tremendously, has given me a much greater sense of purpose and personal mission to help kids who have lost a loved one. Wiley's got an incredible story and I'm so excited to share it with all of you today. He started a business single platform, which was acquired some years back from Constant Contact. He's an active board member of Experience Camps and he lost his dad while in high school and his loss forever impacted his life. I really cannot be more excited to share his story today about life, loss, building a business, and how his perspective has evolved over the years, and how he is laser-focused on building a happy life with the people that matter most. One of the things that we discussed in depth on this episode is just how his priorities have greatly shifted over the years. And today, he's really focused on living a happy life, focused on his family, his closest friends, and his newborn son, Mateo. With that, enjoy this episode. Wiley Sorelli, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. <laughs> so great being here again. Take three. <laughs> we had some technical challenges, but happy we are up and running now. So we have a lot of topics to cover today. Very excited to jump into all of it. But take us back to a young Wiley. What was life like growing up? I'd say the best way to describe me was the way my mom described me, which was I was like Tony the Tiger because... Anytime anyone asked me how I was, I would always say, I am great. And, <laughs> and, and that was that was my life for the first 16 years. <laughs> Did you eat a lot of frosted flakes growing up? <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. I definitely <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't be allowed to have sugar or caffeine. Yeah, I was just a very, very happy kid running around playing nonstop with an incredible life, super close to my my family and like a dream life. So I wouldn't I wouldn't change a single thing. Yeah. That's awesome. And I can resonate with that so much. It's very much how I grew up, really up until when I was 20 years old, when my dad got sick, I would always say and still really say to this date that the only thing I knew was happiness. Like I really hadn't experienced any sadness in my life up until that point. And it's funny too, because when I look back, I lost my grandparent. I lost two grandparents young. I lost an aunt young, but my life was really just like so much happiness. And I think sometimes also when I look back, I view my life sort of like before my dad got sick and after and just how my life was so tremendously different. And it's evolved again after my mom died. But specifically, like before my dad died, it was just like my view on the world was just 
I don't want to say necessarily in my in my own way, but all I knew was happiness. I didn't know that bad things happened or that I just sort of was living my life and had this sheltered view on the world of just like, oh, life's amazing, only happy things. And and obviously all that changed once my dad got sick. Take me back to, I guess, when you found out your dad was sick. Someone said this analogy recently. It was sort of like uh, the type of life that you and I had growing up, which was just all happiness and and was like, you're almost like living in a, uh, what's this like, those things you shake, you know, there's like snow in snow it globe. and stuff. Yeah, the snow globes. It's magical, right? You like shake those and it's like, they're beautiful to look at, right? And like, that was that was life right up till he died. And then all of a sudden it cracked open. And like, you can't not see everything outside of the globe now, right? It, you're just like, it's hard to put yourself back into that globe uh, and just have that lifestyle. And so I think when when he was diagnosed, it was like, it was a shock. It was hard to believe because he looked so healthy. You know, he died three months later, but it wasn't like things changed slowly. It was immediately the entire globe just cracked open and everything was exposed. It stripped away so much of, or added so much weight, but stripped away so much of what made me happy. You know, the, the health of our family and my my sisters and my my mom. And you're reminded of it every waking moment, whether it's you come home and mom is asleep because she's been working around the clock or it's the socks that you wear because they have holes in them or you you know i'm looking into different rooms of the house and there's missing furniture because we've sold it for money or you open the fridge and there's you know a lack of food or i'm eating eating all my meals alone like you're just constantly reminded of it so it was like for me he was diagnosed and then very quickly every aspect of my life had been cracked open and, and changed how old were you when your dad was diagnosed so i was 16 i was in a back brace because I'd, I'd hurt my L1 and L2 on my back. So I wasn't able to like really run and, and be athletic either. So, so there's just a lot of stuff happening all at once. So yeah, so I was 16 years old. What cancer did your dad have? He had lung cancer. Yeah. The tumors you know, all over his body. I tried to go through chemo and everything and it broke him down, but it was way, way, way too late. At 16 years old, especially going from just a life of like, like you had mentioned, where everything's great and you're so happy. Did you know your dad was like terminally ill at that point or like right away or no? I think we found out he had cancer and then within probably a couple of weeks, we, we knew he was terminally ill. What's that like being 16 years old, having your, your world turned upside down? How did you process that at 16 years old? How I processed it was I ignored it just as much as I possibly could. You're almost like, you break a leg, you can sit on a couch and you might not realize your, your leg is broken, but like your roof of your house comes off. Like you can't not notice that 24 hours a day. And so I think I was trying to, my very best to completely ignore everything that was happening, which, you know, later resulted in a, a tremendous amount of guilt for not like maximizing my time with my dad while he was alive. But I think I, I started just building up a tremendous amount of pressure that ultimately I imploded, but I, I, I processed it by not processing it, unfortunately. Did you know your dad was going to die? I did. And it was just too much. I remember not crying. That's how much I was ignoring it happening. And yeah, I tend to go all in on things. So I went all in on ignoring what was happening all the way up into the point where after he died, I finally like cracked. I had started drinking and ended up taking a knife and cutting myself like, I mean, I think it was probably 20 or 30 times on my arm and in my stomach. 
an insanely just cathartic and sad thing. I was wrapped up. I remember waking up in the emergency room. My mom was around me. I think I had, I was in such strong denial. And then all of a sudden I imploded and was angry at myself, angry at the situation, angry that my sister was in so much pain, angry that my mom was depressed. And so that's, that was the first time I really, I think, accepted it, unfortunately. Mm. Which is like, I never even told that story for probably for like 20 years or so. But then when I, I had shared it with some, with the very few people, and this would be probably the biggest form that I've ever shared on, but like, it actually was a more common thing to harm yourself, which is sad, especially if you're a kid and you're already dealing with the loss of a parent or a sibling or you know, someone, whoever's meaningful to you. And then everything else that happens in life. It was bipolar in a way, like I ignored everything. And then, then that crash happened. Yeah. It's so tough because you're so young. I mean, loss is hard, I think at any point, but especially at 16 years old, it's nearly impossible to fully process and accept something that's so painful, that's so terrible, you know, that's so unfair, that's a life that's taken far too soon. It's like, forget being an adult trying to process that, but especially at like 16 years old, it's very hard to even comprehend. I think about my own situation with my dad and I was 19 years old when he was diagnosed and he died seven months later and he died during the summer. I turned 20. Like he was in the hospital and I knew he was going to die for the seven months that he was sick. I didn't even accept or understand that like the cards were even on the table. And I look back and I'm like, how stupid was that of me? I thought honestly, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and I was definitely sheltered from it a little bit. And I would see him progressively get weaker, sicker, et cetera. But I really thought it was going to be like a bad flu and he was going to eventually just come home and be like life back to normal. Yeah, it's almost like you, you can't comprehend like how permanent it actually is. Like you conceptually understand what death is and then they're gone and it's permanent. And at some point that hits you. Maybe for some people it happens before. For me, it definitely. And it sounds like for you, it didn't happen until afterwards. Yeah. And then when all the reminders start coming up of the things that are different now, I guess. Yeah. I would say when, so when my mom got sick a few years later, I was like totally polar opposite where like with my dad, I was very, I don't want to say that I was ignorant. It was more just that like, I didn't really think that he was going to die. And with my mom, like I knew from the get go that there wasn't like a happy ending to the story. I remember actually we we were driving up to camp. You picked me up in Maine and we drove to camp and it was like right when I found out that she was sick. Yeah. Even at that point, it's like I just had a bad feeling in my stomach. I guess I already knew that like the stakes were already so high and that that yeah. was a very real possibility. It is different. After after my dad died, very shortly after my grandparents died and aunt died and each one of those, you know, actually multiple aunts died and, and each each one of those hit almost harder at the time that they died than actually it definitely hit me harder than, than when my dad died, oddly enough. After your dad died, you know, it sounds like you ignored it. You ignored a lot of the feelings while he was sick. How did you navigate, I guess, following your dad's death? Okay, so I think, you know, it's not like I was in denial for, for years. It was, he was diagnosed in April and then died on you know, the day after his 50th birthday in July. I think I cracked probably a, a month and a half after that. Ultimately, I think I just went into like survival mode. I reached a point where like everything was changing so much. I felt like uh, my, I, my entire surroundings was dictating the path that I was on. 
And I just think ultimately when you wake up every day, you have a choice to either move forwards or backwards and you can allow your surroundings to define how you feel and the direction you go, or you can change your direction and set your own path. And I just was sick of my surroundings setting my path. And I grew up with like this, always believing that you can achieve like anything because of my parents. And although it seemed like a hopeless situation, I felt like at least if you aim for the stars, like, you know, or another galaxy, you might not like reach that goal, but you might make it to the moon, or at least you won't end up on the ground. You got to swing, you got to take your chance. And so I think that ultimately it was, I went into survival mode and said, I'm not going to let my surroundings dictate my life. I had to move forward. It sounds like some of it stemmed from, or maybe all of it stemmed from maybe like gifts or lessons that your parents gave you. Do you think that some of that also stemmed from experiencing something that's so big, so young, where you know, where you understand that life is short? Did you have anything that came about as a result of your loss where you realized like, hey, like my dad just died. I'm going to go swing for the fences or I'm curious if you had any like uh, anything that the loss kind of showed you around life short. Hey, I'm going to go and take this path. So I think that when you are intimately close with losing someone significant, it's hard to separate yourself from that almost any aspect of your life. And I think it's actually like a blessing that you have that element of death in your life because you do appreciate the things that you have. So for me, it was, I'm going to swing for the fences. You know, I'm like, I'm going to train night and day, become like a, you know, an all American wrestler. I'm going to get, get really good grades. I stopped drinking. I took care of my family. You know, I, I was driven by that loss. I think there's been three major phases for me. This phase was the phase of like, I'm going to do everything in my power so that when I ultimately have a family, they're not going to go through this. What that meant was I'm going to make sure they're not going to have the financial loss, all like the emotional loss that we went through. And it was like a period of like protecting, of building a layer of protection around my life. And I think I was driven by loss as opposed to hope for a while. Ultimately, it changed. Even wrestling, I wanted to be an All-American wrestler. I was driven by not wanting to lose as opposed to win. Uh, How can I protect the family that I have, my sisters, my mom? So although it's not maybe the most hopeful message for me, that was what drove me for a long period of my life was creating a protective layer for my family and for my future family. It seemed to have worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when you're driven by that, you can achieve a lot of things because you can be super laser focused and, you know, dropping out of school and starting companies. And there's certainly been a good amount of success as a result of that, but it's a, it's a tiring way. It's, it's a tiring way. <laughs> I know like people look at some of the stories that, I, that I've had in my life and, and it may seem inspirational. And I wish I could say like, I know you, you made the absolute very best out of things. I think that I, I was driven by, by fear of loss for just a long period of my life. Mm-hmm. You used the word blessing before, like associated with loss. And it might be funny to hear those two words, you know, loss and blessing at the same time. But It's funny, I think, and that's very much like the premise of a lot of the conversations I aim to have on this show. But I think there are a lot of blessings in some ways that come as a result of the loss, just in terms of how it shapes your life, your perspective on the world, and how it can drive you to live your life a certain way. Yeah, I would be nowhere close to the person and place I am without having experienced that loss. It's like I basically became a CEO of an organization when I was 16 years old. felt like I was like the CEO of my family. It's a lot of pressure, but it ultimately drove me to succeed in a lot of different ways. 
to meet incredible people and live life absolutely to the fullest, like in every aspect. That's something I don't regret. I don't regret it. So I'm thinking here, like just while you're talking, and we'll get into this in a second, but I wrestle with this all the time, especially recently. And I don't know why recently it's sitting with me more and more, but like, why did it take, you know, losing both my parents and tremendous loss? Like, I feel in many ways I'm empowered because of what I lived through. You know, I feel I have a greater perspective on life. I have a greater appreciation for the things that really matter. And I'm like laser focused every day when I wake up asking myself, like, how do I want to spend my time today? And I look back on what I've experienced and I'm like, I'm so grateful for where I am today and the way I view the world. And sometimes it makes me take a step. Like recently, I've been wrestling with like, why did it take something so shitty? I feel like I'm almost in some ways living a happier life today than when I was 19 before when I said I only knew happiness because it's like I have this real appreciation for the life I'm living. But I don't understand. I don't know. I, I just wrestle with why. No, I get it. I get it. Like, why does it take that? I had to make my first like Uber ride recently and we almost got in an accident. We weren't in an accident, but it was scary. It's like one of those like, little flashes. I got home like 10 minutes later, walked in the house, ran upstairs and just like hugged my wife. And I was like, I felt so thankful that I was alive and that I had her. But like, if I didn't even experience that flash, I love her and I'm thankful for her. But why does it take those little flashes of moments to know that like, you know, to be even more appreciative for the things that you have, you know? And I think like losing someone does certainly does that. And there's a permanent effect of that now, right? Versus like, I haven't thought about that, you know, the the almost car crash until now. And then you just forget about it. But like losing a parent, they're just, they're just not there. So it's, I don't know, the essence of, of being appreciative, it's hard to miss because it is always there. So that makes sense. Yeah, this is definitely, I think, generally speaking, maybe a little bit unpopular opinion. But just going off this theme, like where I'm at today, just mentally, emotionally, like I said, I really feel like I'm more empowered by my loss. And we'll jump into experience camps in a bit as well. But like when I think about the loss that I've experienced, the only word really is like I'm I'm grateful for both the good grateful. and the bad in my life. It's weird, obviously, to like associate the two, but I have to be grateful for the losses that I had because it's like without those, I wouldn't be I wouldn't even be talking to you right now. It's a weird feeling and I felt that for a long time. It's like being grateful for that, I, like, I'm a better version of myself because of this. Not that I wouldn't be a better person if my dad was alive, but like I was pushed more and it's a weird thing to be thankful for, but I definitely am too. And I think you, you hear that across campers as well. Yes, we can jump into experience camps. And I think this is actually probably one area where I feel that gratitude the absolute most. And for those that don't know who are tuning in, experience camps is a free one-week camp for kids who have lost a loved one. We're actually in session now and have some more camps coming up. And actually, you know, I owe I owe a lot of appreciation towards you because, you know, you were the the bridge that brought me into experience camps after my dad had died. You reached out and opened up that door, welcomed me, recruited me. And it's funny because looking back, I've recruited a lot of people over the years as well. And the camp gives you a necklace with your name and people would ask maybe, hey, what is that? And I'd be at random places like a bar, networking event restaurant and then I'd end up recruiting someone and you forget that you recruit these like complete strangers. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, as I sit here, it's funny because I really owe it all to you. You were that bridge that brought me into experience camps and 
where I found like just tremendous sense of community after I had lost my dad and realized that shit, there's so many people who are younger than me, who are older than me, but especially younger than me, who have experienced significant loss. And in many ways, without that community, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. But every year at, at the camp, that is probably where I feel the greatest sense of gratefulness. And really because I sometimes think, you know, if my dad didn't die, I wouldn't have ever found my way to experience camps. And like the impact I can now have, even just by being like an active volunteer and the chance to really change these kids' lives, I wouldn't be able to have that chance if my dad were still here and I were still living this happy life in my little bubble. So, you know, I feel like in some ways, like when I get there, I'm like, wow, I'm grateful because look at now I have this chance to really change so many lives this week. And I know you used to be way crazier. You would do like eight, four camps in a row, but I used to do two camps in a row. And it's like you have such a unique opportunity to truly change the lives of so many kids who have lived through so much tragedy so young and it's so unfair. And every time I'd say I get to camp, I'm just like... You went to camp how long after you lost your dad? My dad died in June. And I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But you you made me wait like a year. You're like, you should probably wait a year. But I think that's probably good advice. That would, would have been intense. I, see, I think you would have been great. But like in general, I don't think it's a good idea. But yeah. So got it. So, so, so a year. I understand. I feel like before he died, there was like a magical part of life. Life was magical. I felt like it was almost like I was living in a movie. Like it, it was almost probably still believed in magic at the, at, at the time. And all the way from the point that he died to camp, that magic part of life for me was about survival and swinging for the fences. But the magical part wasn't back until I got to camp. And it was like, I, there was like this electric charge of like the most inspirational, happy place in the entire world. And that's when that magic part of life came back to me. It wasn't necessarily because I felt connected to my dad. It was just a a feeling of being connected to everything. And that I say, the first day of camp was started the next phase of my life. It really brought the magic back into into life. I know we throw that word around a lot at camp, but it, it is though. It truly is magical. When you got involved in camp, it was the first summer that camp started or no? It was the second one. Second summer. Yeah, it was the second summer. So I guess 12 years ago? 12, 13 years. It's very confusing now with COVID. It like, yeah, it was like it was right, a year yeah, that yeah, skipped. Yeah, yeah, that's and right, that's right, yeah. I don't know if you can count attending virtual camp as a camp under the belt. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> what oh, would you yeah. say was like the most surprising thing that first summer? Let's see. I think that I expected to have like a deep relationship with a couple campers almost like in a big brother kind of way. And it was not at all that, like not at all. I felt such a strong connection to like half of the camp. I just remember being like middle school and looking at the kids kids in high school and no matter what, they were just like cool. Like there's older guys, maybe they had like a half a mustache or a varsity jacket or whatever it is. You're just like, those guys are so cool. And I think that as a camp counselor and especially as a camp counselor who has lost someone, your role model to every one of the campers, whether how much you like interact with them what I was surprised with was like that, that connective tissue with me and every camper that I was interacting with. Like I f- truly felt like you could make a systemic impact on almost every camper, even if you're not even interacting with them. Like one of our campers who lost his dad and then lost his mom, Curran. I didn't really have a relationship with Curran. Curran's an amazing person, but I never really had like a one-on-one relationship with him. But then he asked me to come to his, his mom's funeral. 
And I was like, that's so interesting that he wanted me to go because he was he wasn't in my bunks. We didn't have that deep of a relationship, but he he felt a very strong connection to me. And I think that that happens with a lot of campers, where like you're a symbol for like for hope, for what can be, for being positive during shitty times. And so for me, the thing that was most surprising was the systemic like sense of connection and impact that you could have on all these campers. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I could resonate with that so much. What would you say is like the biggest thing that you learned as a result of being involved in the camp, maybe from the campers or just from being involved in the organization over the last decade plus? One of the biggest lessons that I learned was, unfortunately, along with loss, losing someone, you tend to lose a lot of other things. But I think one of the worst aspects of it is oftentimes there's a heavy sense of guilt, guilt for maybe the last conversation that you had with the person or for your relationship with them or for not being there as much or maybe for not showing as much up and in school afterwards or maybe for taking your anger out of people or maybe for like whatever it was for the actions that you did or didn't, there's a sense of guilt. And that was something that I lived with alone all the way up until I went to, to camp that once I got there and I saw these other campers talk about guilt and how guilty they were or disappointed they were in themselves, I was like, oh my gosh, like that is... I think it's one of the worst aspects of it. And so for me, you know, I think Dr. Wolfson talks about like, you know, we all have this backpack that we carry around that sort of like weighs us down with things. There was that practice that we had where you like wrote something down on a piece of paper. And so like, I'm going to take this piece of guilt or whatever is weighing me down, write it down this piece of paper, and we're going to throw it in the fire together. And so it was like that moment at camp was one of the most magical moments for me because I carried around a lot of guilt. And I was looking at a camp of called 30 something kids that were all taking something that was weighing them down and releasing it. And I just thought that was just an unbelievably magical moment for to watch them let go of that weight. And then also for myself too. Mm. It's so interesting to hear, hear you talk about guilt. I personally don't resonate with that one as much. And it's funny because also this is actually going to be the first summer where I have older kids, but I've always had younger kids. And a lot of the, the times that they share stories is more, high level, you know, like I lost my dad or I lost my mom. I lost my sibling. Interesting. So I don't think I've ever heard it from any of my kids or at camp. (laughs) That that is unbelievable. That's so interesting. I know they talk about like the different phases. There's like like a child's life and what they're, what they're perceiving and stuff. I was always working with the older kids forever. Right. And then I was running like a CIT program and you're like going through adolescence and you're just like awkward about everything and (laughs) you're upset about everything. So I think like, your family dynamics at the time that you are a teenager oftentimes could be maybe different than when you are when when you're younger. I'd say most of the kids that I dealt with were dealing with some sort of sense of guilt, which is like so interesting. Wow. It's so interesting. I can understand, you know, why someone would feel that way, etc. Especially knowing, you know, how some of the kids have lost a parent, a sibling, etc. You're like some like struggle in, in, in school more. So now they regret that. And it's like tied in with the person's death. And now they're disappointed in themselves or they're disappointed in how their parent might think about them or they're disappointed that the, you know, the argument they got in with their mom, even though their dad's alive. And like, it's a shitty thing to carry around. It, so it's one of the exercises that I always look forward to with, with the campers that I was dealing with and the CITs. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's awesome to hear that when you're at camp, I mean, obviously also when you're outside of camp, but that when you're at camp, you could really be that beacon of hope for younger kids who are facing like tremendous loss to understand that like they can 
to really be a role model to know that you too have experienced significant loss, pain, tragedy, but you've been able to move forward despite your circumstances. You know, there are people who will tune into this who are going through real shit, heavy circumstances. Like, how do you think you wake up and choose to be in that mentality where you say, in spite of my circumstances, I'm still going to move forward. I'm going to commit to building a life of happiness, a life I want. How do you get to that that point where you're able to tell yourself that and actually go and do it? For me, I just reached a, I reached that breaking point and then bottomed out. And it was like, like I said before, I was just sick and tired of being, of my path being dictated by my surroundings. And luckily, like you, like we grew up with just a, an, an amazing, loving family. And I just thought everything was possible. So I think there was like this shorter period of time for me that I didn't think things were possible. I think we had very different experiences and, and mine was, was out of survival. It was almost like, I just need to tread water for me and my family. And then I think once you go into that survival mode, it's like the, you know, the mom that can lift the car, like up off her baby, right? Like there's, there's that, there's that strength that comes out of survival mode. Out of that, I learned, wow, like you can do anything, right? And, and so it ultimately ends up be, being an inspiring thing where each challenge that you come up to, you're like, well, this isn't harder than the last one. And I, I got through that one. So <laughs> it was, it was a setting up a pattern that was unfortunately sort of just thrusted upon me by needing to take over. So I learned, I learned from that. I don't know how helpful it is, but when you become sort of like the father of the family at age 16, you learn to get shit done, man. You sort of have to. And it's interesting. It's like the thing that I'm, one of the things I'm most grateful for is that lesson. Like, I didn't know I had that strength in me, you know, like you, you've trained before and you've run marathons before. Like you're just like, you might have not thought you could have done it, but then you're like, oh my God, I, I can do this and I'm going to do this. And then the next obstacle you come up against, you're like, meh, I ran a marathon and didn't train for it, right? That's what you <laughs> did, Danny. Like that was unbelievable, Yeah, that's, right? that's something I did. Right. That's crazy. And I think that part of that is that like, you can, you believe you can do anything. And, and I do too. It's so like, once you've come up against the huge obstacles and know that you can overcome them, it's an inspiring, empowering thing. We're two people actually who both ran marathons without training for them. Like, do you think that's like a it's psychopaths? Like I, I, maybe we're just psychos, or maybe it comes out of just being like, you know what? I want to do that, and I think I can. Yeah. And I don't know if like my dad, if my dad hadn't died, like, would I run a marathon <laughs> without training? I don't know. But it's just it's a it's weird how those two things for me are connected. Of like, I can do anything. Yeah. And so, you know, like we're in a, we're in a tech world of like 0.01% of companies like sell for, you know, a lot, a lot of money. So why go into that? Why go into that like industry, right? When you have such a low rate of success, <laughs> you know, yet there you and I are starting companies. There's that hopeful part of us that's also comes out of like, I've been through some, a lot of stuff. I know I can. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I honestly just feel so and I know I've said it already on this episode, but like just so empowered to make a difference, to live a life doing the things I want when I want with the people I want, like to just live a life of so much intention. I, in many ways, feel like <laughs> I look at sometimes some superheroes, like, and all the cool superheroes have lived through significant loss, like Spider Man yeah. lost his uncle. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can resonate with that so much. And when my dad died, I don't think I was as much in a place of survival, but all I wanted to do was take care of my mom. 
And I think one thing that like literally that was I wanted to drop out of college to just go work to make money to, t- to help take care of my mom and sort of replace the role that my dad fit in the family. But when my mom died, I feel like for five years in between when my mom was alive, I was so focused on making money to, to help financially right. yes, support exactly. my mom. Yes. And then when my mom died, that was like the first time in five years where I took a step back and started to ask myself, like, what does Danny want? As opposed to like, what do I need to do to help support my mom, to help take care of my mom? And started to look at like, what are the things that I actually want in my life? And that, yeah. it was like an interesting shift. So dude, that's, that's really, really interesting. So that is actually what I meant by survival mode. Because I, I, I did drop out of college and supported her. And that's why I think there are some similarities. Like, you know, my, my dad died. I went into that survival mode. My mom then tried to kill herself and was in and out of all these hospitals and everything. And that was, gosh, like 10 years later. So you reach that phase of like, what do you want in five years? For me, it got me into my late 30s that it, I was out of like survival mode. And it's like a lot of good things came from that, right? A lot of big companies and you know, investments and all that, which is, which is fantastic. I'd say that I was so used to just trying to keep things afloat and protect things, you know, family financially. It wasn't until my mid to late thirties, that was the first time that I wasn't scared of losing everything. From 16 for the next 20 years, I was driven by protecting my family and building a life that will protect my future family. And I'd say that I had a really hard time that, that period when I was 16. And the, the next time I had a really difficult time was in my late thirties where I found myself almost floundering, asking myself that question. Like you got to it quickly in five years. I found myself in my late thirties, just almost with a lack of purpose because my, a lot of my purpose was out of protecting my, my family. Things were sound financially. My family was healthy. I had achieved like a, a lot of things. <laughs> but what I found was that like, I started to become the human I didn't want to be. I was so proud of that person that, that, that built this last 20 years of life and helped so many people. And I think I was, a, I was a really good leader and I was a good boyfriend and, and brother. And, and then I think I went through a period of time where I was like, I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing all those things to build for almost like others and not, not for myself. It was almost like I became disruptive and went into a place where I ruined my wedding, putting aside that I married the wrong person, but I floundered a bit with, with work and it lasted for years up until honestly, like recently, I'm curious, like what that was. When you started thinking what you want, like what that process was, it's amazing that you did that you got there so fast. For me, it took me until I was basically 40 years old and, and COVID hit to for everything to click back again. Yeah, well, I'd say I'm still trying very much to figure out what that life exactly is and how I go about building it, things I want to optimize for, things I want to make change. I think right now at this point in my life, I'm in like a deeply introspective state where I find myself putting tremendous pressure on myself, trying to really build like a life of just happiness and doing the things that I want, not doing the things I don't want, trying to optimize, like I said, for feeling and being as happy as I possibly can be. And I know I'm asking myself the right question. Like I said, like every day when I wake up, I'm just like, I don't know how much more time I have on this earth. The only thing I do know is I can control how I spend the limited time I'm given. And (laughs) I sit every day with some thoughts in my head trying to figure out, so how exactly do I want to spend that time? And 
I'm doing a lot of things that I want to be doing right now, but there's also some things that maybe I'm doing that I know I want to make some changes around, but trying to figure out exactly how to go about that. But, and I think, you know, that question around just like knowing that I too am going to die, how do I want to spend my limited time on earth? And I guess in some ways it's a funny thing because I'm turning 28 pretty soon. So someone might look at me and say, I'm so young. What are you even doing talking about? knowing that I too am going to die. How do I want to spend my time? But I think in many ways, like I know that, and you know as well, that like, you know, a long life isn't a guarantee, which is obviously unfortunate, but... I have a question for you. I asked this question in one of like the bold groups, but like, have you had a fear that you were going to die early? All the time. <laughs> like all the camp counselors I talk to, a part of them think they're, they're going to die young. And I'm like, it's, it's really interesting. And I do think that is a driving, like you could say like, oh, you know, it could always be your last day. But I, I genuinely feel like be, as a result of the loss, a lot of people think they are going to die young. And so it drives them to build a better life and strive for, strive for more. That's what it's done for me because there's a part of me that thinks I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die young. I mean, going back to like gratitude and being grateful, I think that's why I'm so grateful for the losses that I've had because... I do have this like very real connection to death and that yeah, I know. it's fucking real. And, and yeah. there's just no guarantee. Like, I think it's very cliche when people are like, live today like your last. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, you don't even want to say it. You gotta, but God willing, we'll live a long, healthy, happy life. But like you and I had experienced significant loss in our life way too soon. Robbed of time, memories, experiences with the people we love. And I think just holding that close to your heart, it does help steer ship in a much more intentional way. And again, like I think that's sort of one of the things that I hope to share on this podcast to share with our audience. But I do speak to a lot of people. I know we have a, a little bit of an age gap here, but like um, <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I speak to a lot of people in their twenties and even close friends, and I don't get frustrated with them. But it's more just like I look at them and in my inside not on the external, but inside I shake my head because I'm like, your priorities are so fucked up. Like, you know, like you're chasing after things that don't exist. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people who are like chasing the future happiness where they're like, when I get there, I'll, I'll be happy. Then I'll be successful. And I'm like, that there is just going to be a constant evolving, moving target. Like, I'm curious, you know, I know we didn't talk much about business, but you had tremendous success and also in a very public way, like you know, you sold your company for $100 million that's out there in, in the ether in the world. <laughs> you know, I think it's funny because a lot of people associate, especially like, and I don't know if this is from social media, but a lot of people associate like money with happiness. You hear it all the time, or I hear it all the time where people are like, when I get there, when I achieve this, then I'll finally be able to feel successful or be happy. Where does that land with you? It's a lot to unpack for me, but that's where I broke down in my late 30s and lost myself. Because I had spent so much time trying to build a life to protect. I guess part of it is that you will be happy. So maybe I'm one of those people that you would have looked at and said, like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? I think once I reached the point where I was as successful as I was, and I didn't feel like I needed to tread water, I think it was like the first time I, I led a selfish life, oddly enough. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to travel. And tra not that traveling's bad, but like I started to experience the things that you think might make you happy. And I think I lost my priorities. What did you experience? Fleeting happiness. Mm. 
bits of happiness. I never like, you know, I didn't go to college. I didn't date. Right. I really didn't even date my twenties till the very end. Didn't date my, in my thirties till like my mid thirties. So like I started dating a lot. I started traveling a lot. I started spending a lot. And I think the, the sense of connection that I had started to dissipate. So fleeting happiness, fleeting moments of happiness that could be purchased. And from an interview or, or whatever it is, it's like sugar bursts, I guess I, I would describe it. And oddly enough, what brought me back to who I am and why I'm the happiest I've ever been was COVID. And, and COVID is obviously awful for so many reasons, but it almost like stripped away a lot of complexity that life has to offer. All COVID made me feel like was the only thing that was important was like my family and friends. And that's when I think I really started to, where I truly fell in love for the first time. And my wife and I have been in lockdown now for a long time, a year and whatever it is, like everyone else. She is the most loving, caring and grounding person. Watching her is an inspiration. Like she just wants to be an amazing mother, wife, daughter, sister, and friend. And that's the most sacred thing to her. And I think now of like, you see the tombstones and it's like proud father, husband, friend. Like what's COVID's done for me, it's it stripped away everything and grounded me again to the place where I was growing up where like, that's what I want on my tombstone. And maybe it's a little morbid way of thinking about it, but like, I want to just say like, I'm a proud husband, a father and family member. And that's the only thing that matters. And if I think back to like when I was a kid, right? Nothing else mattered except for, except for that, right? Like yeah. your family and friends. And it was simple, right? And so like I'm back at that stage and it's amazing. And so life is beautiful. I've lead a very intentional life now. And I've never been more thankful and grateful than I, I have been ever than I am right now. Part of that is that journey of like, you know, you said like, you know, having money and, and, and success. And I think it, it messed me up a, a bit, but ultimately I ended up in a better place than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing bad. Like I too, am like pretty motivated by trying to build a better life financially for what will be my family, my future family. And I'd say I'm also motivated, like, you know, in many ways, a piece of what drives me is definitely, I want to be successful. Yeah. But those are all good things. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the problem is when you start to associate that you can only be happy when you achieve a certain level of success or, and there are some days when like, I personally just the type of person I am, I like to win and I'm super competitive and I'm, I'm harsh. I'm harsh on myself. You know, like even this week, I was talking with a friend and I was like a little bit frustrated with some things with work and I'm telling him and he's just like, dude, you have it so good right now. Like, you know, just talking to me and I'm just like, okay, you're right. You're right. You know, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at right now. I'm just, I'm a little frustrated, but like happiness is already with me. Like I'm already feeling it, you know, like I don't need, I don't need to associate like when I achieve X level of success, then I'll finally be happy. And I think that's when it becomes this dangerous thing when you start to associate future happiness and delay your happiness because you're like, I can only can only be happiness when I achieve a certain level of success. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, you didn't get to this place until your 30s. And between like your 20s to early 30s, maybe you were pretty focused on building this machine, building your business. And it sounds like that's where you tied a lot of your like self-purpose too. Yes. Yeah. After you had sold your business, I guess, how difficult was it to navigate or find your own self-purpose? Because it sounds like almost you hear a lot a lot of times, especially in the... I really don't follow many sports besides boxing, but you hear a lot of times the superstar athletes, they put their entire life 
like their life is boxing. I'm going to speak specifically around boxing, where they put their entire life around the chance to be the greatest in the world at what they do. And they live, breathe, eat, training, fighting, boxing. And a lot of times you hear of a lot of fighters who achieve immense success. And then once they achieve it, they struggle to find happiness because they've achieved everything they set out to. And they lose sort of that self of what is my purpose now? I've already done everything I set out to do. I'm curious if that's sort of what you resonate with. I think it's a little different. It wasn't that I needed money to be happy. It was that I needed that amount of success to feel safe. So it wasn't like I need a lot of money and money gives me happiness because I can buy things. It was like, I need to secure a life. Being a teenager and going into your, your cabinet you know, where, where there's food and you open up a pasta box, right? And there are moths in there. And then you go on the counters and there's like a can of green beans and like nothing else. Literally like multiple boxes of like moths and bugs in pasta. Like, I don't know how long that has to be there for, but it leaves a deep, a deep imprint of like, I never, ever want my kids worried about food. Mm. And that's what I mean by like survival. Yeah. I never want my kids to harm themselves, which unfortunately is a very common thing. I never want my kids to have a, a parent who then, after losing one parent, the other one tries to kill themselves, right? Like, I'm not laughing, it's not funny, but it's like, it's so fucked up to say. <laughs> so it wasn't a, I want to build this massive business or businesses because that will give me happiness. That to me will give me peace and safety. Mm-hmm. And when I had that and all my family members were safe and everyone was like financially stable, the sense of like the drive was like, I didn't know who I was because everything was tied in. Even with camp, like I wanted to be your big brother. I wanted to be Ethan's big brother. I want to be Lee's big brother. I want to be everyone's big brothers. And then in, in all the campers as well, once I had reached that point, I started to lose my sense of like who I really was and thought that maybe I just needed to live my life for myself a little bit more. And ultimately, that was what I think drove me, I don't know, to not be the good version of myself. Mm. And I think it's different from these boxers maybe who reach a certain level of fame. Sorry, boxers that want to be a champion and they, and they ultimately become a champion. And then they're like, oh, what, what, like, what is happiness? What is happiness? Yeah. Maybe they wanted the money because they could buy them things. For me, it was, it was like a fortress then. What happened to me will not happen to my kids, Right. Yeah. I grew up pretty, you know, close to the boxing world. I think for a lot of fighters, it also does stem from this place of like fear because a lot of world champions do come from just places where they're trying to escape, you know, and like yeah. boxing is the vehicle yes. to get them out. Yeah, actually, you know what? Yes, that's definitely right. I think that's actually what I was talking about with, with the wrestling thing. I didn't want to lose. I saw myself like running up hills and I'm like, I do not want to lose. Sorry, this is not more inspirational. I feel I feel bad, but I just like it's interesting how over a course of time, the way I think of my journey has changed. Because now when I look back at that period of time, I understand my sense of motivation more now, especially having gone through this last sort of transition. So so I guess I have a few more questions more as it relates to like the business side. What would you say has been the most challenging thing or the hardest thing about selling your company? Also very publicly, right? Like, I don't know. I think there was like an article where it's like, single platform sells for $100 million. So what would you say is like the hardest thing that comes as a result of that? Because I think a lot of people often associate just like 
this immense success. Were there any challenges, I guess, in life afterwards, right? After selling your company that came like as a result of it being like very public? Like I imagine your life changes quite a bit after after you sell a business for that much money. Uh, let's see here. I think it was a little bit harder for me to connect with new people. I really didn't like being in the public eye. So it was like, it plays into your ego a little bit, but I want to lead a much more private life. Hmm. It was almost every workout class I went to, I was being recognized. I didn't like that. Like I remember growing up, my dad was like in the newspaper a decent amount and I don't want to lead a public life. I want to lead a private life for, for my family. So I think the part that I struggled with was there's so many times that I met people that knew who I was or what I had achieved were persuasive, I guess, and manipulative. It was never a challenge with the people that I knew already, but it was for a lot of people that I met afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that like quite a bit. And it's funny because, you know, I think you can read in like the paper or you, you go online, you see someone achieving immense public success. And I think oftentimes like the outside world may just view that as, oh, this person's so lucky or they have it so good. But I think there are probably, you know, I know like going back to the boxing thing, I have one good friend who fought for a world title. He didn't end up winning, but at that time he was like on the rise. Everyone's talking about him. He ended up losing, but he made a lot of money. But he said leading up to that, he had so many people pop into his life as he was trending on the uptrend. A lot of people popped into his life. He told me that like, you know, when he lost, a lot of people quickly disappeared and he realized that his circle was a lot smaller. And I imagine that there's challenges that come with selling your business very publicly that isn't talked about, maybe that also isn't understood, but that causes maybe like just, I don't know what the right word is, not necessarily confusion, just challenges. It's just not who I am. On my gravestone, it's not going to say anything about business. You know, like that's not what drives happiness. And, and I, it's interesting, like I think about this a lot with campers because I know when some campers find out or camp counselors find out, more, more of the camp campers, they find out about my story. I feel two different things. One, they're excited and inspired and that is great, right? But what I don't want is them to feel like that's what success is. Like I don't want that to skew people to think that that's what you need to do. You know, like it's like conceptually, like you just, that's not what people should be trying to achieve to me, at least, because I don't know, I'm conflicted by it. You know, like (laughs) this interview could go two different ways, right? It could be, should I be coming on here and saying the most inspirational things, which I think is what you wanted and to inspire people. But at the same time, I'm also just like, I don't want people thinking like, oh, wow, he struggled with all this stuff. And then he built this amazing thing. He sold this company for $100 million. And this company's public. He invested in these company of these billion-dollar companies and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's amazing. And it is amazing. But from a camper's perspective, I don't want that to be that is success, mm. right? All I want for this episode is the real Wiley Sorelli. And so I think I'm now at the point in my life where I was in love for the first time. And that the I have a child now. And I'm back in that zone of like, the only thing that is important is my family and friends. Am I a good husband? Am I a good father? Am I a good family member and friend? It's part of actually why I got off of like Instagram and, and social media. I'm back on, but now it's only about like my, my son family. basically, but like, <laughs> that's it. That's like, it's the only thing that matters. 
there's obviously a lot of good things that come out of being financially secure, but like whether it was like $10,000 in my bank account or, you know, X millions of dollars in my bank account, like the only thing that really should really matter is that line on, on the tombstone. And so for me, it's been incredibly grounding. And that's why I don't really do interviews anymore. I'm not really on social media anymore. Cause it just like, it, I don't, I don't know. But part of it is like, maybe I should be that example and be more, more public. Well, and is that inspirational on um, or does it set a tone of like, yeah, in order to, to feel successful, you need to win a Super Bowl. Well, guess what? Like most people don't win Super Bowls, you know, like, <laughs> is that really what success is? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think this conversation has been pretty inspirational because it sounds also, and you know, we'll get into Mateo having your first baby in a second and how that's changed your life. But it sounds like, you know, you've had your own like reawakening or finding a deeper yeah. purpose and meaning in life over the last couple of years, maybe a year and a half. And it sounds like maybe you've even changed your own views on the world. It's funny because I'm trying to think back to when it was, but we went to like a rumble class. It's got to be a couple of years ago now. And I just remember you t- <laughs> were catching up and you're like, everything's out of control and like not a good way. Yeah, not a good way. I remember that time in my life. And that was when there was a lack of clarity and my true values inside me were not aligned with my actions. So, you know, it's, it is inspiring to hear sort of just the roller coaster. And I do think in many ways, the older I get, the more I start to believe that like, and I know I said, I'm trying to like optimize to build a life of happiness, but it's never just like a straight ride up where you're just like more happiness, more happiness, more happiness. You know, there's life changes, things happen. And there are those like ups and downs where you got to navigate and grow as a human being. And I think that's sort of what you're alluding to or speaking on when, you know, you're saying that some of your own perspective on the world has changed over the last year and a half. I think some people might tune into this and say like, I don't like when people say this personally, but like you ever hear people say like, oh, easy for him to say he has so much success. No, yeah, you know? I get it. I get it. Yeah. I don't really understand. I think that stems from like a place of like, I don't know, jealousy. I don't, I don't know. It comes from like a bad place because it's like... Here, here's what I'll say. I say that like for me, the success was for safety. For a period of my life, I used what I had built and money almost like you would like, I don't know, like more of the like rock and roll lifestyle, like a, like a rock star lifestyle. I'm like, wait, maybe I should do these things. Maybe I should date a bunch of people and fly and do all these people, like spend that money, you know, and just like, maybe I will get something out of it. And I can confidently say that you don't get out, get those <laughs> things out of it. So it's not that having money and security isn't a good thing. It is it is a tremendously grounding thing for me that I'm grateful for every day. It's the, what do you do with money? Like buying or the lifestyle that you could have as a result of it beyond just feeling secure is what I don't think is very important. What would you say is the best or most worthwhile investment you made? It could be money, could be time, like energy. Like I'm curious if there's something that's not so tied to like a material item, but maybe a worthwhile investment you made just personally in your life doesn't have to be as a result of like the success you had. Could be something as simple as like a sauna that I go into every day. Sure. The things that I think about, like where I put the money that made me the happiest was like, honestly, like buying my mom's house, flying my two nieces, my mom and my sister and going to Costa Rica. And we went horseback riding, whitewater rafting, like the experiences I think are the things that I, when I think of like providing experiences for other people makes me incredibly happy. You know, sending my niece to summer camp for the first time. I love that. I got a letter from her just like two weeks ago. She was at summer camp. And like, that's one of the happiest moments that I had. I love getting experiences for people. 
because those experiences are permanent. Things are not. That's awesome. That's an awesome answer. So recently had your first baby, Mateo. How has becoming a father impacted your life and your perspective in the world? You instantly glow. So you're like instantly <laughs> smiling. <laughs> so he's just like the best. He's amazing. I'm telling you, Danny, listen, <laughs> kids might not be for everyone. I've wanted to be a father since I was a, since I was a kid. In the same but polar opposite way that having someone losing my dad, right? And what it did, the impact that it had, this is like a hundred times that. It is the most, you know, like in some ways when something bad happens, it, it strips away a lot of complexity because you're just like, the only thing that matters is, is blank. This had that same sort of profound effect of like, it's an all-encompassing event that sheds everything else that's not important is just sort of like eliminated. Like this is what's important. Him and my wife and my family. And to have that like that type of clarity on a daily basis, it's amazing. Gabriella and Matteo are the two greatest things that, that have ever happened to me. I have had, I don't know how many of the happiest days of my life over the last 11 weeks in one day, but it's probably close to around 11 weeks in one day. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I could literally feel your energy through the computer. I don't even want to answer the question because I'm just like, I don't really want to say no words because that's even cliche. It is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And it's happening on a daily basis. And each time you think there's no possible way that life could get better, he then, you know, like smiles at me, you know, or just like, I don't know, drools on me. I just anything. I just do I changing. I'm gotta be the fastest diaper changer in the world right now. <laughs> like unbelievable. And I, I was I was I was bragging to someone yesterday. I was like, I can change him from this direction, or I can go behind him and change his diapers. I'm fucking amazing at this. And it's true. And I'm so proud of it. Like, that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud of like doing dad's breakfast on Saturday, right? That's, that's why we were late today. Is that when I get all these croissants from this French bakery and I go to this other place to get this like freshly squeezed orange juice. And I go to this other place to get this French bread and I bring it all together for, for dad's breakfast. Like, <laughs> like that's what success is now. And it's the greatest thing in the history of the world that I'm just so fucking incredibly grateful and proud and happy. And life is really beautiful. There was this Modern Family clip that someone sent to me. It's like Jay. I don't know. You know, do you ever watch yeah, Modern Family? I love that show. Okay. It's an amazing show. So Jay talks about how like, he's like, you know, you have this baby and you completely fall in love with this baby, right? And you're like, right when they're born, whenever you meet them. It's like, and then X weeks go by and then they smile at you and you completely fall in love with this little human again. And then they start to like talk to you and you fall in love with this like, personality and this little, this human that you now have like a connection with. And then they get older and they start going to you for advice and you have experiences and you, you basically it's this process of constantly falling in love with the same human throughout their life. And like, I've fallen in love with them 40 times now. It's just, you know, I guess it's 11, you know, whatever, 80 times, right? <laughs> I can't do the math. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I cannot imagine what it's going to be like. I see pictures of my friends and they're like, their kids are going to camp or they're in high school. I'm like, oh, no, don't grow up. Oh, no, please. <laughs> I can't imagine how much I'm going to love him then. So, yeah, life is, life is amazing, man. Uh, my dad died 25 years ago. And this is the first Father's Day where I truly, obviously, this is the happiest Father's Day that I've had in a long time. But it's also like the, the one that I felt most connected to my father. Because I'm like, oh, my gosh, he was holding me like I'm holding Mateo. And it's just, it's amazing. And knowing that I have like the best partner in the world with me 
who's the most loving, just sweetest person in the world. I just, gosh, you can't, you can't, you can't want anything else. Like, how does it feel that your dad's not here for like this big milestone or moment in your life? I've never felt more connected to my dad than I do now, ever. Like, it's so strange, this new, I was curious what I was going to feel like when I had a kid. And especially if I had a boy, because because I'm I'm the boy and father and everything. So I didn't realize how happy and connected it would make me feel. Mm. And also, like, knowing that you can die at any point in time, like, what is the life that I want to provide for Mateo, right? It's amazing to have that sort of perspective. I've never felt closer to him and more grateful for the experience that I've gone through. You know how you say like, oh, this year I'm going to celebrate him. Uh, so sometimes you're like, and you never know how you're going to feel. Like it really is like way more of a celebration than anything else on his anniversary and on his birthday, holding Mateo on my dad's 25th anniversary of his death. It was a special day. Man. It was a special day knowing that my dad held me like that once. It's an amazing and crazy intense experience. It's almost like there's like, you know, AC and BC. It's like, before Mateo and Gabriella and, and and now with them, like my whole life is completely changed and it's, it's uh, all for the better. That's so awesome. It sounds, it sounds like you're just in sitting in like an abundance of happiness and bliss right now. So love it. Yeah. In the same way, everything changed when my dad died, everything changed when Mateo arrived and life is beautiful, man. No, I love it. We could start to wrap up the show. The last question I like to ask all my guests to come on the Bits of Gold podcast is all about facing adversity, moving forward, building your dream life. I think we certainly dove into a lot of things on how to do that. But with that being said, what would be your last bits of gold on how to build a life you love? Deep, meaningful relationships with the ones that you love. What COVID all reminded me of is just like how much more you get out of spending more time almost with a smaller group of people for me. And for some, it might be connected with more people. But for me, it's like every hour, additional hour I put in by going on a hike with my mom gives me so much more than an hour than just catching up with someone that I haven't seen in 10 years or a business connection. I just feel like I, I uh, the more time I can spend with my family and friends, the better. So that would be my piece of advice. Love it. Where can listeners connect with you if you want them to even connect with you? <laughs> or, or should I edit that part out? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't um, remember who else I had on, but someone from Experience Camps, they're like, I don't need anyone reaching out to me. <laughs> <laughs> you said you said you want to go more private, so we could also end it there. Yeah, I got I to gotta tell you, like, I'm really, really happy with the people that I've, I feel connected to in my life. And if this has all been inspiring to someone, then fantastic. I've got my priorities and it's, I'm staring at him and he's 20 feet from me. So, <laughs> No new friends. Okay, we'll end it there. I understand though. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, share with a friend, subscribe. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.